We are in Romans 6. And uh, Romans 6, probably if you had to kind of summarize it, it's we are free from sin. And Romans 6, 6 is kind of a key verse. I think I kind of mentioned last week, uh, for years, that was my favorite verse because it just was speaking to me so much. So I, I want to read it again because I think it sort of captures the heart of this chapter. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. And I'll tack on verse 7. For he who's died is freed from sin. And uh, we've been talking about how just that, yes, we have been free from sin. That's part of the salvation that Jesus died for us to give to us. Um, uh, last week, we kind of jumped into the whole, you know, section of verses, um, really, um, it was um, verses 12 through 14, just three verses about how we need to present ourselves to God. And, and that's not just, I presented myself to God back in, you know, 2003 or something like that. No, the Greek tense there is that we are continually presenting ourselves to God. In fact, it goes a little bit further. It says, every member of your body, we need to be kind of presenting on a continual basis to God. And we're to present ourselves as instruments or vessels of righteousness. And a diagram that we kind of showed last week, here it is. Uh, a few things, if you can just kind of look at the beginning or down at the bottom, Romans 6, 6, knowing this. And we talked about how that knowing this has to be a revelation that God's given us, that our old self was crucified with Christ, that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Then based upon that, Romans 6, 6 goes on to kind of say, we've got to believe it. See, we can know it and even have a revelation of it, but we have to, by faith, we have to say, yes, yes, yes. And then we said, consider ourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God. And that was, um, that's one of those Greek words, consider ourselves. English and Spanish, for that matter, have had a hard time translating it. Uh, sometimes it's reckon yourself or sometimes consider it reliable. And do you remember the, uh, the story I gave that I think maybe kind of captures a little bit of that? Remember, it's talking about uh, driving a stake. Remember, we talked about the Homestead Act, that in America... In the late 1800s, and really for a lot of 1900s, if you went out west, out here, and you could get 160 acres free, but you had to stake it out. You know, you had to put stakes in it. That was a very important part of it. And then you had to live there for five years. And then you got the deed. And, uh, and so when I read, consider yourselves dead to sin, you know, I believe it. I, I understand it. But yes, I'm driving the state down. This is something that I'm going to do for my life. Okay, so today we want to talk more about this presenting ourselves to God. And let's look at verses 15 through 19. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, 
your slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, resulting in death, or of obedience, resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that former teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Okay, so verse 15 starts off with kind of a question very similar to what was asked in uh, verse 1 of chapter 6. Wait a minute, and I'll kind of summarize it. If we're under grace and God's given us this gift of justification, what's just to kind of keep me from just living the way I am? And the answer is no, no, no. God has more for us. In fact, the gift of justification is just one aspect of our salvation. The other aspect is sanctification. And he goes on in verse 16 to say, do you not know that when you present yourself to someone as slaves to obedience, you're slaves to the one you obey? So presenting ourselves is a very important part of appropriating this truth. Yes, Jesus has paid the price for us to be free from sin. But we need to make a decision to respond to that, okay? It's a decision we make, presenting ourselves. It doesn't just happen. We decide whose slave we will be. Either we're going to be a slave to sin or we can be a slave to God. And let me, let me kind of tell you a secret that we could talk more about in Romans 8. If you present yourself as slaves to God, you, that's really the doorway to freedom and liberty. Whereas the enemy, the devil, would say, oh, you, you kind of get really into that Jesus stuff. You know, you, you know you're, you're giving up your freedom. No, that's a deception. That's a deception. Because if we don't present ourselves as a slave to God, we are slaves to sin. In fact, it says very clearly here, we are slaves to one or the other. Now, I know we live in an age where we always try to kind of compromise, you know, you know, well, I'm a little bit of a slave to God, but I'm kind of also friends with the world. It doesn't really work that way. It doesn't work that way. So it's a decision we make. And actually, maybe we should take it a little step further. It's a series of decisions we make because we do it on a daily basis. Because remember, that word, presenting ourselves to God, it's the progressive tense. It means I'm continually doing that. So it's not just something I did in 2003 or in my case. Actually, um, you know, I gave my life to the Lord. Yesterday was my anniversary. And it was, well, it was in 1965, so you can kind of do the math. A lot of years, right? <laughs> you know, and, uh, but when I did that, you know, I don't, that's a decision 
that in some ways I make every day. I'm going to live for you. Lord, I present myself to you. I present the members of my body to you. Also, when we talk about presenting, it's talking about giving ourselves. You know, sometimes we kind of think of, uh, well, even like in Spanish, you know, we might kind of say, oh, let me kind of present to you my friend. We're kind of introducing someone to, to someone. And uh, in Spanish, of course, but, you know. Uh, but really, so present has a watered-down picture for us Americans. But in the Greek, in the biblical context, when we present something to someone like God, we are, well, we go back to the Old Testament. Remember, we talked about this several weeks ago that the offerings and the sacrifices were presented to God. It's in that spirit. So we give ourselves completely. And here, he actually kind of takes it a little bit further. He says, you're really presenting yourself as slaves. And I know that's kind of an uncomfortable word for us. You know, in fact, verse 16, 17, 18, 19, it all those verses speak of our being a slave to, to God. So it's clear in this passage that we are either slaves to sin or to God. Which is it for us? Now, again, when we get to Romans 8, we're going to kind of amplify what it means to be presenting ourselves to God. And it's going to, we're going to see that's where liberty, freedom comes in. True liberty, true freedom. Okay. Okay, it's also, you know, three times here in Romans 6, it talks about, when it talks about presenting, it says, present the members of your body. Well, what does that mean? Well, I think it's just kind of saying that it's obviously allegorical somewhat, but it says every area of your life. Because it's easy for me to say, Lord, I present myself to you. But when I start getting specific, it's like, ooh, ouch, ouch. You know, it's maybe it takes a little bit more of a commitment. Like here's just a few we could talk about. And probably every one of these, we could probably have two or three messages. Our tongue is something we need to present to God as an instrument of righteousness. James 3, actually we could probably talk about a lot of passages, tells us that our tongue is capable of great destruction, right? It can be a fountain of blessing or it can be a fountain of cursing and curses. And uh, our tongue, as everyone here knows, can get ourselves in lots of trouble at times, right? You know, and therefore we need to present it on a continual basis. Lord, my mouth, my tongue, my speech, I give it to you. I present it as an instrument of righteousness. And by the way, I mean, just think about all the ways that our tongue or our mouth or our speech could be used contradicting the kingdom of God. Lying, slander, exaggeration, gossip, complaining, Yep, that's right. Quarreling. Well, I mean, everyone complains. Everyone kind of quarrels and fight. Well, no, we are to present our tongues as instruments of righteousness. You know, bad language, empty chatter it even talks about. You know, Ephesians 4.29, it says, let no, that means zero, 
unwholesome words proceed from your mouth. But what? Only such a word that what? Gives grace to those who hear. That's going to be used to build people up. Now you might say, well, if I do that, I'm not going to say hardly anything. Well, maybe that's what you should do for a while, you know, until you can retrain your tongue to glorify God. But it's presenting our tongue to him. There's our heart. You know, it's kind of amazing. The scriptures talk on one hand, a good heart, the heart that receives God's word, like in the parable of the sower, a heart that's wholehearted. But it also talks about what? Stubborn heart, wicked heart, a hardened heart, a sick heart, a defiled heart. Actually, there's more things negative than positive, you know. And those are things that we need to be careful of. Our heart needs to be presented to God. It's, it's the seat of our emotions. And we all know our emotions can bounce all over the place, right? So on a regular basis, Lord, I give to you my heart. I make it yours. There's our mind. And again, we could talk about all these a lot. I'm just trying to give you some ideas. Our mind can be clear. It can be pure. It can be disciplined. Romans 12, that we'll get to a little bit later, talks about it can be renewed, transformed, but our mind can also get dirty, deprived, depraved, perverse. Our minds can be conformed to the ways of this world. So do we need to present our minds to the Lord on a daily basis? Yes, we do. Actually, and uh, I don't have this verse up here, but I was thinking about it as I was going over these notes. But Philippians 4, 8 talks about, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence in anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. And again, it takes a transformation, doesn't it? And that's part of discipleship. That's part of sanctification. Our eyes. Actually, Matthew 6 in the, Mount, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. And then he goes on and says, but if it's not clear, there's going to be darkness. And there's a lot of ways, I mean, there's a lot of dimensions to that, but I think part of it is we could say our eyes are the doors or the gates into our soul. And that means what we see, what we watch, what we put before us. So do we need to present our eyes to the Lord? Yeah, we do. It's, it's necessary on a regular basis. Our ears, what do we listen to? Do we listen to gossip? Do we listen to filth? You know, and I know that might kind of make a difference of uh, friendships, music. There's a lot of things. And, you know, you, you can, you, you know, I mean, all these things, we could kind of go off in a lot of different ways. I know that. But really, oh, maybe one other is hands and feet. You know, uh, what we do, where we go, how we spend our time, 
are we truly the hands and feet of Jesus here on this earth? You know, we sang a song this morning about, you know, uh, bringing love, Christ's love, to all those around us. You know, that is, Lord, I present myself, my feet, my hands. And, and really, these are just allegorical expressions. Really, you could sort of say it this way. Every area of my life needs to be given over to him. Entregado a él. You know, our relationships, our family, our marriage, our finances, our working career, our free time, our social life, our school, our study, everything. And that's part of the message here at the end of Romans 6 is that we need to be presenting ourselves to God on a regular basis. I mean, actually, when we get to Romans 12, we see this. But remember Romans 12, 1, it says, it says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies and every part of it, a living and holy sacrifice. That's worship to him. Now, obedience also kind of comes in here. You know, some people that I've talked to, they see the Christian life as either obedience or grace. But scripture, like Romans 6 and Romans 5, speaks of both because they go hand in hand, don't they? Grace is absolutely essential to bring us salvation, to bring us into justification, isn't it? Grace is also key in knowing that I'm dead to sin but alive to God. It takes the grace of God for that to be revealed to me. That's not something I can do myself. We can never please God by our own goodness, our own good works. That's why we spent so much time talking about grace. I mean, we spent weeks talking about that. Reigning in grace, you know, it talks about in Romans 5. You know, uh, you know reigning in grace is actually God's plan, his destiny for each of us who are truly born again. But when we get to the place of presenting our members as instruments of righteousness, obedience is necessary. Now, it's God's grace that's brought us that point, but it's obedience. Actually, I, I think we have a slide here. Grace could be defined this way. God does it. I don't at all. Obedience could be said, it's my response to grace, to his grace. Does that make sense? Grace is God does it. That's the foundation of all. But our response to grace is obedience. And by the way, verse 17, it says, you became obedient from the heart. It's not something legalistic. It's not something out of obligation. Because if it's legalistic or obligation, we're always trying to find what's the, what's the least I have to do to obey and still kind of have it qualified as obey. And so I'm always getting kind of technical with the Lord. True obedience is from the horse, from the heart just says, I want to obey because I love Jesus. I'm so thankful. I see him worthy of everything. That is what God's grace should be leading us to. 
And so when I present myself as slaves to obedience, it's like, I love to do that. It's not, well, I guess that's the Christian thing to do. And I guess I've got to kind of, you know, kind of watch my language. I need to kind of, no, no, it's, you got the wrong idea. It's, it's something that comes from the heart. Obedience from the heart. Actually, obedience, and we'll probably talk about this in the next couple of weeks a little bit, releases God's grace into our lives. So grace brings to the place that we won't obey more. And then obedience brings more God's, of God's grace, which kind of leads us more into obedience. And that's how really the life of sanctification works, how we become more and more like Jesus. So grace is fundamental. It's absolutely essential. But yes, obedience is as well. And God gives us the grace to obey. Because grace kind of is kind of wrapped up in everything. Verse 19, I'm kind of skipping around because we're going to be kind of hitting some of this again next week. But it talks about, so now, the last part, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Sanctification is our goal, our purpose. Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is one of the best verses or passages on sanctification. Let's start in verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. You know, as a pastor, people are always asking, how do I know God's will? Well, sometimes I'll say, God's will starts with this, your sanctification and all that's included in this. And then because he has something he wants to kind of talk about, he starts giving an example, kind of an example that can make some of us uneasy. It says specifically, or that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you, every one of you, know how to possess his own vessel or his own body in sanctification and honor not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress or defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but what? In sanctification. And then, I don't think I had this up here, but the next verse is probably good. I should have included it. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. So our purpose, our goal is sanctification. And we talked about this when we kind of introduced Romans 6. But what is sanctification? It's the process of being made holy, being set apart for holiness. Like First Peter says, you shall be holy as I am holy. Another way to put this is that we are being conformed into the image of Jesus. That is sanctification. Two parts of sanctification. Again, I know I keep repeating this, but it's very important. Justification, I've been declared righteous. That happens in an instant. Sanctification, being made holy. And that's more of a process. And I think we have a uh, uh, 
Another slide that we kind of showed a couple weeks ago. Justification, a point in time. Sanctification starts what? At the point of justification and continues until we see Jesus face to face, either if he returns or we die. Now, I think I mentioned this. I know a case can be made that his sanctification starts even before we were born again in some ways because he knows us, and, and I recognize that. But for the sake of simplicity, let's just say there's justification and then there's sanctification. Both are important. We're called to both. We cannot ignore sanctification. And unfortunately, very sadly, much of the church, they get excited about, I got saved. I've been justified. Even though I'm not so sure they even kind of understand the fullness of justification. And then they camp out there. That is not God's plan for us. God's plan is to take us further. That life of uh, sanctification, or we could say a life of discipleship, you know, the same thing. And then verse 17, just want to kind of mention one other phrase, then we're going to kind of do the Lord's Supper. It says, we became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. That is the teaching that we are committed to, the doctrine that we're committed to is the gospel. And since I know I was going to have a few more verses, I think I'm going to kind of wait on those few verses. So don't put those up yet. But um, um, it's the, the full gospel is justification and sanctification. And we are to be committed to that as a way of life. Okay? So in conclusion, what can we say here? We can say that God has called us in response to his grace, in response to what he did at the cross, he has called us now to walk in obedience and to say, Lord, I present now my body, every aspect of my life. And the good thing is if that's built on a life of true justification, the gift of justification, if it's built on a life of of knowing what Jesus did at the cross, how he, that our old self was crucified with him, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, then it's not me trying to kind of be a better person. It's just a matter, I present myself to you because you've done it all. Does that make sense? Because very, very important. Let's pray. Lord, these are such important truths that we're talking about in these weeks. And, uh, Lord, we really need you to reveal yourself and your word to us. Lord, we pray that every one of us would see the beauty and the awesomeness of your great salvation, of the gospel. That yes, you have given us this gift of justification. You've declared us righteous. But Lord, you haven't just left us there. You now want to make us holy vessels that you can use in your kingdom around the world. And Lord, most of us are in that process, right? all of us are in that process right now because it lasts our whole life. Lord, give us a vision for that. Let us see that even the trials, the, 
the tribulations, the things we don't understand that come our way, they're woven into that process of sanctification you're working in each of us. Give us revelation of this. Give us, impart faith to receive the life that you've called us to. Thank you, Lord. Amen.